Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and use the offer code CANADALAND at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. Chris Selly, columnist for the National Post. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Candleland Shortcuts. And full disclosure, Candleland supporter? I am. I think I'm a very modest supporter, but I, I am a supporter. Modest is good. We will take it. And we're going to talk today about the scary phenomena of child abductions. Ugh. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about weed. We're going to talk about the conservative and liberal conventions. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Robert Deller, Nathan Whitlock, Matthew McKinnon, Michael McDonald, John Embury, Kevin Newman, Barry Waite, and Orvi Dingwall. Orvi, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land is the alternative to legacy media in Canada. I feel like I woke up when I started listening to the show, and it's so convenient to listen to when I'm walking the dog or driving to meetings. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Chris, should you ever need to embark on a freelance career? I'm just saying. I can't imagine why that would happen. Should that ever be necessary, consider Squarespace for your portfolio because uh, Squarespace is an amazing way to set up a beautiful gallery, a landing page, a professional blog, or an online store. I should probably also direct these messages to people who have websites. Sometimes it feels like you have a site, it's getting the job done, but you're holding everything together with chicken wire and dental floss. Like I have such a website. So there you go. You could make your life a lot easier. And easy is the operative word here with Squarespace. It's a very simple and intuitive process. You get a free custom domain when you sign up for a year. And as we are making money, not just advertising our services, but making money online, it's great to have seamless commerce tools that Squarespace offers. Small businesses use this stuff. Huge businesses use Squarespace. They make it very easy to run a business online, and their customer support is 24-7. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CANADALAND, and you will get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, 
It's AG1, and that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. So, Chris, I have two small children. Should I be paralyzed in fear and driving them through town in like a Pope mobile type bulletproof? <laughs> there was a front page story in the Toronto Star that made every parent who read it feel a little bit nervous. Well, I'm not a parent, so I would not dare advise you on, on how you should transport your children around town. That's However, yes, be afraid. According to this article, there's no reason not to be afraid if you're afraid that one of the 3.8 children per year kidnapped and murdered by a stranger or acquaintance. If you're worried they might be one of yours, then yeah, you should be freaking right out. What was the headline? Child abduction and murder data paint chilling new portrait. And I think that as you point out, the new is sort of like the operative word there, like that there's new data that suggests that child abductions are more of a problem than they used to be. It sounded like a lot of people interpreted that way. But if you looked at it, what they really did was take this really, really small number of child abductions over 40 years and slice and dice the data to show us what were the usual circumstances when these things happened. And wouldn't you know it, they tended to happen after school hours. They tended to happen when people were walking or otherwise in transit from A to B and all these other things that you think, well, yeah, I mean, that sort of stands to reason. The vast majority of the victims were girls. Yeah. The star played that up. The web display copies said something about, you know, a staggering 86% of them we're girls, and that's interesting if you're interested in the minute phenomenon of stranger child abductions. 86% is a big number. 3.8 children a year is a very small <laughs> is number. Is a very small number out of 6.5 million children in Canada. I think that running you know, such a, a scary headline on the front page makes the Toronto Star a valid target for this conversation, but we are talking about a larger media meme, oh, and yeah. really like an enduring one over decades. We in the media have been scaring the shit out of parents for a long time. Absolutely. I feel like it's gotten better in recent years, but I mean, we're all about storytelling, right? Like they bang that into you from day one. People want stories. They want to read people's stories. And child abductions, especially by strangers, are among the most compelling stories out there. I, I mean, they're legitimately compelling. I'm not suggesting we don't tell them, but when you look at it as a phenomenon, especially in a story like this, where it's talking about the phenomenon as a 40-year thing, to not even come across a paragraph talking about the absolute risk we're talking about here as opposed to the relative risk is just really bizarre. So the context that I think is lacking is that it's never been safer to be a child in a city in Canada. And it was always safe to be yeah. a child, certainly over the whole course of this. I mean, if by safe, you're talking about the safety of being abducted by a stranger and then murdered. I mean, that almost never happens. You even get into the distinction here about what is a stranger and how strangers are counted. What they were really talking about was strangers or acquaintances. So what they were ruling out was family members who lived under the same roof as the child. But there's all sorts of people that your kids know who don't live under the same roof as you. So the vast majority of kids who are abducted and murdered are abducted and murdered by family members or people their family know, knows or people who live under the same roof as them. And I think if you think about a lot of the high-profile cases in Canada, you know, it matches those criteria, though not all of them. The other thing you get into is, like, when you accept how infrequent this is, the 3.8 a year, the idea that scares the hell out of parents is that it's just so random that it could be anyone. It's actually not as random as that would suggest when you actually, like, expand acquaintance to include acquaintances. And then you start to do 
statistical analysis of those 3.8? Like what possible insight could you glean from that? Because like the point here, I guess, is like we're trying to like minimize our risk. You might as well publish like a, like a thorough ongoing analysis of like what can you really do to stop your kid from getting hit by lightning? But your kid can go inside in a thunderstorm. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's you can't avoid walking from A to B. Yeah. Or you could. Or you could. And I think but, that's really, I think, why this is such a, uh, an important conversation to have about how the yeah. media portrays this is that like. This is, I think, an aspect of society where the way that the media portrays crimes against children and abductions and, and child abuse has radically transformed childhood itself. I remember roving around the neighborhood in a pack of kids on dirt bikes, and I do not see that anymore. We all kind of are, are on the same page about this, that helicopter parenting has is, is gone too far, that free-range parenting is a good idea. We all kind of know that it's safe, but like when you get right down to it, there are all kinds of things that parents used to be comfortable having their kids do that they are no longer comfortable. In, and even it's just like social judgment at this point. Like, what are other parents going to think of you? That's exactly right. I think that everyone understands that these risks are low. Well, maybe not everyone, but at some level, I think they do, even if they might react viscerally to an article like The Stars. But it's the fact that people are calling it free-range parenting has always gotten up my nose. That makes it sound like it's some kind of bold social experiment. Yeah. It's not a bold social experiment. It's how people grew up one generation ago. Yeah. Like, don't call it that. Just do it. But I think there is this judgment, right? No one wants to be that parent who does that thing. And everyone go, oh, well, that, that's kind of weird. I'm not sure how much of it came about because of this stranger danger thing? Because, you know, that started in the 70s, right? Like with the milk carton kids. With the PSAs about it, but it's so informed by media coverage because there was a time when you wouldn't really report on sex abuse of children, at least not yeah. directly. So like there was a time when the media was sort of just out of some sense of propriety or like the, like just to even acknowledge that these things happened was something that the media didn't really touch. And then we kind of shifted into this other era where as scary as you can make crime stories, that's how scary you should make them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there was the whole fiasco in California with the daycare center where, you know, all the um, teachers were accused of just ridiculous satanic rituals in tunnels underneath the place that didn't exist. And the media went absolutely nuts over it. And I think the media has gotten better. Like, that's what I found so strange about this story in The Star was that the Daily Mail or another British tabloid would go big with it. Right. Yeah. Like, like they would have gone, taken what The Star did and done it 10 times that sensationalistic. This was pretty much down the middle. It's just I kept waiting to come across this like one paragraph that said this is a really rare way for yeah. your kids to die. It's far more common for someone you know or love or who lives in your house to do this to your kid, which is itself an incredibly small subset of kids who are murdered. And most kids don't die anyways. <laughs> so yeah. You know, you could do it in one graph. I wouldn't have done the story this way at all, but you could at least give us a paragraph. Well, that, that British tabloid press is where Michael Cook, the editor-in-chief of the Toronto Star, comes from. Mm. We have the beginning in the middle of how the media covers child abduction. What is the end or, or chapter three of this? Because it feels to me like almost like retrograde or like if that was a great way to get readers or clicks or traffic or that kind of if it bleeds, it leads or trumping up scare stories. I'm not even sure from like just a purely cynical financial, like putting asses in seats, you know, news that everybody's going to read. Those stories, they don't feel as clicky to me as they used to. Is anyone making more money when they, when they I, I hope trump not. up those stories? I mean, the star did that story on Gardasil. A while yeah. back. And to me, it's it's of a piece with that. It's telling stories, right? Like people have these utterly compelling stories. Completely contradicted by the data. Completely contradicted by the data. And you don't provide the context. I hope it's not clickbait, but some parents I've talked to suggest that the parents they talk to 
were freaked right out by that story. And and I mean, it'll be interesting to see if Kathy English, the the public editor who does her job, as I call her, weighs in on this because she boxed their ears on Gardasil. And this isn't quite on that level because there's nothing wrong with it. Like yeah. it, it's there's nothing wrong in it. It's just not a useful piece of journalism. Okay, so the marijuana laws we keep hearing are, it's, it's hazy, it's in limbo, it's gray zone. What is happening, not just in Toronto, but across the country as we wait for legalization that's been promised, uh, everything that's happening with the dispensaries and the crackdown, it's all because of this haziness. Is it so hazy? It's not hazy at all. And I don't understand where this, this idea that because the liberals put something in their election platform, it's sort of halfway to fact. Marijuana is not legal. It's no more legal than it was before the election. They haven't even promised legislation for a year. And as we all know, legislation sometimes doesn't go anywhere. So this media narrative that keeps going on, I mean, I understand there's there's a conflict between this idea that we might legalize in a year or 18 months and cracking down on dispensaries. But there's also a conflict the other way, because if we do legalize, the chances are these dispensaries are going to be even more illegal than they are now or just as illegal. What do you mean? Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne has been very clear that she sees pot being sold at the LCBO. If the federal government legalizes marijuana and Ontario says, OK, we're going to sell it in the LCBO, you can count on anyone trying to sell it at a dispensary being cracked down on more. Same as if I less. started to like sell beer out of yeah. my- Yeah, open know. up a liquor store in Kensington Market, see how that goes. Like it's not going to go well. Okay, but to this point of it being hazy, 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 my problem with that is that I'm a newsreader just trying to get to the bottom of this and figure out why there are five pot dispensaries in my neighborhood over the course of a month that opened up, right? And I'm not like saying that in an outraged kind of way. I'm just sort of like, what's going on? Why all of a sudden are there like a hundred of these things in Toronto and you know, I haven't like done a thorough deep dive into all the coverage, and I'm sure somebody's going to say, I wrote an explainer for that for this paper. Please do and send me the link because maybe you could help me out here, Chris. I have no idea why so many independent people decided that they're going to get into a hazy or illegal space and take out leases in really like some of them are in quite expensive parts of yeah. Toronto. They're, they're obviously putting tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars into establishing themselves in what they think is going to be an ongoing business. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know what their landlords are thinking either. That boggles my mind more than the pot dispensaries. I mean, there's two things that I can see. Like one is trying to sort of get a beachhead to sort of prove the concept that yeah. pot can be sold safely in a controlled environment. They've kind of proven that. I mean, it hasn't really yeah, been Yeah, they, they have proven that. Yeah. And, and I'm not an enthusiast myself, but I'm all for that model over selling it at the LCBO. And maybe they have demonstrated that it can happen and maybe that'll give them more of a shot down the line when, when and if Kathleen Wynne decides to implement a, a retail regime. I doubt it, but maybe. But the other explanation is that they're just trying to make a quick buck. And, you know, I know you've kind of rejected the Uber comparison, but you yourself bring up this idea of the beachhead. That sounds credible to me, okay? Because all this talk about like medical versus recreational and who should sell it and whatnot, and that we're talking about like the principles of it and whether it's going to have a terrible effect on communities. What I think gets kind of short shrift is the fact that like the money and CIBC estimates that this is going to be a $5 billion business. 
And I guess I could see similar to Uber saying like it's much harder to remove something in some sort of like a libertarian framework where there's a million reasons not to do it. And you're saying, look, just let it happen. It'll be fine. The sky's not going to fall. There's room in the market for different kinds of products. It'll actually make things better. It's much harder to get rid of something that's working than it is to convince every regulatory government up and down and communities and get the zoning and then get full permission. So maybe that explains it. Such a massive industry, it's worth the risk. Because once you've shown that you can have these things and everything's fine, that really drastically increases the possibility that there will be a bit more of a that, private sector yeah. weed business. It, it may increase the possibility, but I think the possibility is still very low in the case of Ontario. Yeah. If history has shown us yeah, about right? Ontario and intoxicants. Like around the world, people are selling intoxicants in the way that these dispensaries are selling pot. But this is right? not just and an Ontario can't question, do it right? This Ontario. is happening in the prairies. This is happening. And, 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 it is and happening, it, but each of those provinces has its own liquor control regime, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Alberta, right? Which is all private liquor retail. Do they let the liquor retailers sell them? Do they set up a whole new branch of private businesses and license them that way? I mean, this is all assuming that it actually gets legalized. And I would put maybe even odds on that. You know, but like talking about the media conception, I mean, I feel so ill-informed. I mean, I don't know why they all popped up and I don't know why the cops cracked down when they did. I really don't know what's happening with this. And I feel like because I'm so suspicious of, of our government in this province and because I know so much money is at stake and because I'm also concerned, you know, uh, on commons, the guys were talking about how really like you are going into an area that has through its illegality has like being a source of income for people who don't have other options or, or who for, took that route and, you know, the kids got fed and people went to college because yeah. and and people are in prison because of it. Look, I think that cracking down on marijuana is a bad use of police resources always, you know, except if it's involving violent crime. But the only reason it's involving violent crime is because it's illegal in the first place. But it, it's no more a bad use of resources because Justin Trudeau said he was going to legalize it. And Police Chief Mark Saunders, I mean, he's standing up there saying, well... You know, they might sell to kids. It's considerably more likely to me that some dirtbag drug dealer who rides around town in his car is going to sell to kids. Same goes. We don't. Let's know. go easy on the dirtbag drug dealer. You know. Well, look, I'm not an expert on these things. I'm just saying, <laughs> here's a storefront, right? Yeah. If, if you hear that this storefront is selling to kids, that's a pretty easy thing to crack sure. down on. Yeah. If you, I mean, there were always restaurants that, you know, had a reputation in high school, like, oh, they'll serve minors. Every now and then one of them would go out of business. The the hazard there for the owners is big. Yeah. And they talk about quality control. If someone gets poisoned by some weed and they're like, well, I bought it from this place. That's a really easy thing to crack down on. And he had no evidence to provide that this was actually going on. He just said it might. From day one, when you would tell your parents like, oh, it's healthy. It's not, there's no real health health risk for me smoking weed. And they say, but what if it's sprayed with something? I'm like, mom, why would somebody spray... My drugs with more expensive drugs. No, it's why, true. Why, why would that happen? I want to carry some water for one of my listeners who, who uh, this is their beef with all the weed coverage. They said, why is it that every time a newspaper runs a story on all these ongoing issues with weed, do they run some like stock photo of some doofus with like a giant novelty spliff? That was taken at like some pro pot rally, like some guy with like a multicolored scruffy beard who has just got like some crazy blunt. I mean, it would be like you're trying to cover like prohibition and every time alcohol comes up, you just like run some photo of some rummy like hiccuping and and, uh, stumbling around with with the jug that says XXX on it. My listeners- Well, they probably did. Maybe they did. It's like, (laughs) like, I don't know that this is actually an accurate reflection of the vast majority of recreational weed smokers in this country. No, the media is definitely- guilty of not taking this seriously. Yeah. At least until very recently. My personal hang up is the can I swear? Yes, you can the swear. The fucking pot puns. 
<laughs> You're using a haze. It's a haze. Right. It's hazy. I, I didn't even get the pun. Oh, it's, my God. Of it, course, that's why it's so hazy. The headlines. Like, sometimes you'll read it in, like, serious, yeah. like, CP unbylined copy. They'll be making little, like, <laughs> who's the, the Quebec finance minister? Uh, Carlos Leitao. Like, a couple months ago. Reporters were asking where he thought pot should be sold legally in Quebec. And he was literally sort of giggling. <laughs> like, he's just like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a good idea. Right, right. <laughs> Legal marijuana? Like, yeah. what? It's like, people are going to prison for this. Yeah. Why are we not taking the, this seriously? The money is big. There are all kinds of reasons why we should be taking this seriously. I will say this. Of all the mythologies of, you know, like, pot getting sprayed and selling to, all these things that I think are just, like, total boogeyman that don't happen. And I'm going to catch... Wild hell from the pro-pot people. There is some validity to one of the reasons why we shouldn't have these these weed stores in every corner is because it normalizes and you're going to see weed use go up. I got to tell you, Chris, I haven't smoked weed since high school. Some of these dispensaries in my neighborhood, they don't look like the kind of cheesy big green leaf and like <laughs> terrible looking bongs. And like, you know, I don't feel like I have to be like 15 to go inside of them. They look kind of hip. And now everyone's vaping. And like slowly, I'm just such a suggestible idiot that I'm like, maybe I should be smoking weed again. See, here's the argument for the LCBO. All this talk of medicinal marijuana. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty stressed out. Like maybe instead of having a stiff drink, I should. I went to my doctor and I'm like, you know what? Uh, like on my way out of a checkup, I'm like. <laughs> Can I get a prescription? He's like, uh, for what? I said, well, you know, I get a little stressed out. You he know. Goes, he says, well, <laughs> well, last time you told me you were stressed out, I told you to exercise every day. Have you done that? I said, no. And he goes, all right. <laughs> Once you've exercised every day and you still want a weed prescription, I'll write you one. Otherwise, fuck off. Now is the time in our program where we briefly bring up little news items that uh, perhaps don't require us to hash out in detail, but which should be duly noted. Chris, I would like to duly note, now that the... Passions have settled from the Kevin Vickers incident. I just want to embarrass people if I can. The reflexive response that so many people had to like give this guy a high five for being such a badass could not be more of a reflection of the emasculated puniness of the Canadian psyche. Like to me, this is on the level of like Grandpa Simpson cheering when like a cop beats up a hippie. <laughs> and I don't know if Vickers has PTSD or if he still thinks he's a cop. And you know, and now that we've had a chance to actually discuss like what it means for a Canadian diplomat to take down a peaceful protester who everybody agrees would just have been ignored otherwise. Yeah. But that that uniform response, which like Jason Kenny was echoing that this guy was like a superhero, is just sad and pathetic. For Canadians. Well, and it's unbelievably hypocritical. I mean, I think it was Andrew Potter said, so let's say the Irish ambassador to Canada, there's some event in Quebec City and a separatist protester comes up and protests and and starts trying to disrupt the event. And the Irish ambassador just drags him away by his ear. Yeah. Is everyone going to cheer? No, probably not. It's a diplomat doing something that he should get fired for, period. That's not being... Diplomatic. <laughs> it's not very diplomatic. That's an old cranky man in a trench coat yeah. dragging away a smelly hippie. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> a smelly hippie with a political point yeah. on the on the 100th anniversary of the of the Easter Rising. People are like, oh, this was a solemn occasion. The protesters shouldn't have done it. Like, it's 100 years ago. It's 100 years ago, and it's like the, the central political issue in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Your first job as a diplomat, if you're the ambassador to Ireland, surely to God, is not to insert yourself physically into the sectarian divide. Like, isn't that number one on the list? <laughs> Not to create an international yeah. incident would probably... Like, Chris, what do you got for us? This gorilla in Cincinnati. Yeah. What the hell? 
the coverage of this has absolutely astonished me. Like there's some sort of debate here as to whether you should wait and see whether like a thousand pound gorilla is going to be nice to the four year old who just fell off a cliff into its enclosure. And I guess this is less the media than it is social social media. But yeah. like, like, well, why not tranquilize him? Like, I'm sorry. This is a zoo with experts who understand gorillas more than presumably this egg on Twitter. And might like that gorilla. I'm assuming they didn't want to kill the gorilla. Yeah. Right. But, you know, maybe new footage from the grassy knoll will show that the gorilla was actually protecting. Well, they've this, they've done this. There's been stories like, oh, here's a photo of the gorilla holding the kid's hand. Yeah. And then he started thrashing the kid around in the water. Like, I think the media and animal stories, they're always a bit crazy, it seems to me. Well, when it's it comes like to crime. Like they get this. played big. Animals play big. But, I mean, human trumps gorilla. That's why the gorilla was in there to begin with, right? Like This should not be a controversial decision, it seems to me. I mean, if you are yourself, if you have like gorilla expertise, like if you're Diane Fossey, maybe you have a voice in this debate. Yeah. If if you're just embedding tweets from angry people on your news story who don't know anything about gorillas or tranquilizers, then maybe just stop. Duly noted. Finally, I read a piece in your paper in the National Post. CBC former executive Todd Spencer, former head of HR, who was one of the two executives let go uh, in the wake of the Gameshi stuff when the Rubin report came out. And it was a weird thing because like the Rubin report comes out and it dinged like a bunch of managers, I think like nine managers in the redacted, you know, responsibilities. And then two of them are fired. And CBC was careful not to say why they were fired. And Todd Spencer was one of them. He's suing the CBC. The Gameshi story, of course, is one that everybody doesn't want to hear anything more about. It's just so oversaturated, but there's something kind of to be thought about here. We oversaturate the public with this stuff, and then nobody wants to hear about it. So then we, you know, that story hasn't gotten much pickup. And we're not discussing the implications because we sense, I think quite rightly, that, you know, let's move on. And yet, buried in there is a revelation, at least a claim from Todd Spencer in saying that in being scapegoated by the CBC, He's now like exposing what actually went on. And what he says is that Hubert Lacroix, the president of the CBC, and Heather Conway, kind of second in command at English Services, were intimately involved in every aspect of the internal investigation of Gameshi that uh, was kind of revealed to be a farce on the Fifth Estate and presumably the damage control efforts afterwards. That's the question that I asked them when I was on a presser phone call with when they released the Rubin report. How much did you guys have to do? Because Gameshi says that when all this happened and he was fired, he was given the option of, of creating his own story, which is essentially a collusion for a cover-up. Yeah. And I asked Lacroix and Conway if, if they were part of that, and they just completely evaded the question. So this has been one of the big things we have not known is how high up did it go? How involved were the president and, and Heather Conway? Todd Spencer says they were very involved. As, as the Gomeshi story dies, if, if it has died, CBC management, the whole process from start to finish, what we know about it and every new allegation we learned, the, the whole thing was completely like that organization is just broken. And the liberals, you know, giving them more money. Whether or not you believe in public broadcasting, I, th I think there's work to be done here because, you know, an organization that would allow that to happen yeah. is more than a couple of tweaks away from healthiness. Chris, can I play you some terrible novelty rap by a member of parliament? Oh, I haven't heard this yet. Yo, conservative guys, conservative gals, you want to leave this party, got to try to be like our pals. 
You gotta talk into the mic. You gotta tell us what you're like. You debate to create momentum to run the next federal election. Gotta fight the fight, gotta get the conservatives back in the light. Who's gonna talk? Who's up first? Who's got the gumption to slake our thirst? Uh, that was Member of Parliament, Arnold Viersen, who I think should feel very bad about himself. Wasn't as bad as I expected, frankly. It was really bad. Yo, yeah, sorry. I, I just meant, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. But when I hear like backbench conservative raps, yeah. I don't know. My mind goes straight to the worst possible outcome. That wasn't it. All right. No, I think it was pretty bad. I think he should feel, he should feel bad. We all feel bad. I think I think we all feel like that isn't like a joyful kind of cringe comedy for me. They're like kind of like I know this is lame white guy rap that always harkens back to like 1985 rhyme patterns of like I'm rapping politician and I'm here to say kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is amazing how durable this particular phenomenon is. It's like they haven't heard a hip hop song in the past 15 years. But I don't want to be just a salty jerk about this because I, my overriding sense of the mood at the conservative event was one of like, ah, fuck it. We lost. Let's take a year off. It was a, it was a don't give a fuck year. There was costume comedy. There was novelty rap. Yeah. They let the press in. No, I know. I, I, I agree with that. I think it's a positive, you know, Harper's gone or he's leaving. The muzzles are off. Yeah. That could in theory have gone really, really bad. (laughs) How did that not go bad? And yet it didn't go bad. (laughs) They got lots and lots of good press. Yeah. Uh, You mean letting the press in there could have gone bad? Well, yeah. Bad stuff could have happened and the press would have been there to see it. But as it. I I think that bad stuff as conceived by the previous government did happen and then it was okay. Like there was a a Muslim woman who said who who had really serious criticism for the last campaign and how it made her feel and how it made uh, people in her community feel. And there were people who disagreed with her and there were the people who hugged her and the press was there to cover it. And it was all okay that that conversation took place. Well, it's pretty. I mean, Adam Radwanski sort of mentioned that in a column in The Globe. So said that's a perfect example of where it was better to have the media there. Yeah. Because otherwise you'd have to try and get that story secondhand and you'd have people who wanted to make the point that the conservatives ran an Islamophobic campaign and they would be playing it up. Then you'd have other people trying to play it down and you wouldn't really know yeah, where, where, the, where truth the truth lies. lies. And Okay, so case in point, when you don't know where the truth lies, the liberal convention, arguably less press access? That certainly seems to be the consensus on it. And- there again, there was a perfect example of uh, the pointlessness of that. Tim Harper uh, in the star talked about being at the back of a room during a debate on, I can't think of what it was about, but it was a very contentious issue. And, you know, media were theoretically closed to these things. But as is often the case at these events, you can just walk in anyways and no one says anything. Yeah. The conservatives went full on security state, but at, at a lot of them, it's not quite that rigorously enforced. And then so he watched it all start to melt down. And at that point, someone came and forced him out of the room. Uh-huh. So then he gets to write yeah. about the meltdown and he doesn't get to see the And it all seems very sinister. It all seems yeah, it all seems very sinister. I mean, there's... There's something else, though, because today we're learning in the headlines that Hunter Tutu, the fisheries minister, has vacated that post and he's left the Trudeau cabinet. He's out of the caucus and he's uh, in rehab. And, you know, when you hear that somebody's doing that, I think people's good faith, best wishes go out. Somebody's seeking help. But there's this little tidbit reported by CTV on Tuesday, that this is related to some incident at the Liberal convention. What incident? What happened? We don't know. Yeah. And the Liberals said that they wouldn't issue any more comment about it. I assume that there's people currently 
trying to uh, find out about this incident. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, without knowing, like, we don't know where it happened. We don't know if it was at the convention or in a hospitality suite or, you know, in a hotel room afterwards. I mean, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough really to know what to make of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, we're, what do you have to say? The, like, I don't know what to say. No, there, I mean, we're, you know, we're in the dark and I think there is a direct relationship to being in power and not letting the press come see what you're up to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if this was a case where the press would have seen this happen had they not been barred from some of these convention events. I suspect not. Like, I think if he had done something crazy in a room full of 500 people, the word would have gotten out and we'd have more specifics than just a quote unquote incident. What are people to assume? Well, we can only speculate. Okay, so somebody got drunk and made an, and asked themselves or said, yeah. we don't know. We don't know. And often the conclusions people can come to when they don't know are actually worse than what happened. Uh, yeah, it's true enough. I mean, the fact that they're not telling us could lead some people to uh, draw the worst possible conclusions, but then maybe it is the worst possible conclusion. <laughs> so it makes sense for them not to tell us. That. Yeah. It's when you're out of power that you kind of want the attention, you want the press in, and you have less to lose. And uh, But I think it's still not consistent with most people's uh, ideas of this new government, that they are tightly controlling message. It's of a piece with the way they've tried to handle parliament. The best spin you can put on it is, oh, well, they've got that's such an ambitious agenda. That they're just trying to fulfill their promises, damn it. And all these opposition parties are insisting on debating these things, which is not a good spin at all. And then Trudeau loses his rag. It's of a piece with this narrative that this government is not all of the smiles and sunshine that we were promised, which frankly, at the moment that he appointed Dominic LeBlanc house leader, it's like, well, this is one of the biggest hardball players in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we expected from this government. And I don't know what people, and, and it goes back to the marijuana thing. Like the amount of faith people have put in this government on so many files is really surprising. It seems to me. Like, not people in the media, but I go back to this assumption that we're going to legalize marijuana. The yeah. liberal government tabled decriminalization bills twice, and they died. And legalization is much more difficult. We're going to have a new president next year. There's every chance that this might not happen, and yet everyone puts so much faith in them, and they're going to be necessarily disappointed. Chris, thanks so much. Thank you. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we're on Twitter at Canada Land. Chris, where can people find you? I am at C Selly, C S E L L E Y, on Twitter. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash Canada Land. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make the show with Kevin Sexton. And syndication of Canada Land as a nationally broadcast radio program on community and campus radio is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.